What's up, campers? What We're here. Happening. Beard Bros, campfire, fun time. I'm Grant. I'm Tyler. So we've got a new soundboard. Hopefully, we can kind of equalize the audio a little bit, get things sounding a little bit better, a little bit more crisp. You can hear our wonderfully beautiful voices. So this will be a little bit, a little bit clearer of a show as far as the audio end goes. But we got a lot to talk about today. We figured uh, right before this hunting season, which it's pretty much starting now with turkey season, it's going to be deer season before we know it here in Missouri, uh, white-tailed deer. And uh, we figured we'd kind of, on that subject, maybe talk about firearms, uh, talk about which ones to use and why and when, because it's always disputed. You're going to have a thousand different opinions on what caliber is best but we all know there's always uh, there's always other options, and more than likely, if someone's you know really leaning you towards one thing, you should probably do your research, and more than likely, it ends up not being the best choice for you. So hopefully, we'll clear the water a little bit today. Um, for instance, today I uh, went out and tested a newish pistol that I got. It's by the company B and T Brugger and Tomet. And it's a Swiss company. It's the GHM9. It's a pistol caliber, kind of a carbine pistol where, you know, a normal person that's not familiar with firearms, if they look at it, they would think that it's like a rifle. Yeah, but it's just, it's not quite as long. It's nice, compact frame. I mean, it's just, yeah, it has a, I think it's like six inch barrel, six and three quarters, something along those lines. Uh, cold hammer forge barrel um, has a, telescopic end piece with a tail hook so it's not a stock which is how they're able to have something on the end of a pistol um, in a barrel under 16 inches otherwise the atf classifies that as a short barrel rifle which is really crazy and that gets uh, into a whole new line of things uh, it's called class three um, weapons where you do need um, a license, you pay a tax, you apply for it, you get fingerprinted, you send paperwork off to the ATF and the government, and they either approve or deny you and send your tax stamp back almost a year later, and you can have this class three item. That'd be like automatic weapons, correct? Yes. Kind of stuff that normal civilians can't get their hands on. Yeah, the, the term class three kind of encompasses a wide variety of um weapons and objects like equipment to use with weapons um, or a mix of both that is not available in a store just walk in walk out kind of purchase um, there is a process to it and these things are like suppressors short-barreled rifles uh, short-barreled shotguns um, certain destructive devices any other weapons um, there's lots of different things you might think and well that you know, I won't ever need a class three weapon. Well, think about like this. If you find yourself owning an AR pistol and you go and you put a vertical foregrip on that AR pistol. Boom, ATF is beating down your door. Correct. You just technically made a short barreled rifle. Now, these rules are asinine. They don't make sense. And we have a non-voted in, non-legislative body writing and creating laws based upon, you know, illogical things like that like if you have an ar pistol and if you put a vertical foregrip something to help you hang on to the pistol a little bit better they classify as a whole new 
classification. It just is, makes it way scarier. Yeah. And, I mean, it just obviously it's way more deadlier if you could get yeah. a good handle on your own gun. Well, I mean, so, clearly it helps you increase the velocity right. of your projectiles to at least 20,000 miles. And you can shoot a laser beam like projectile. Oh, yeah. But isn't it legal if you, if that same foregrip that you were just holding on to yeah. is slightly angled? Yeah, that's correct. You have two choices if you wanted to have something to help you hang on other than the actual grip of the gun by the trigger. Um, and that would be an angled foregrip or a hand stop. Because somehow the angle at which the front grip changes the deadliness of this weapon. It makes it not scary anymore. Yeah. And what's even crazier is all these new attacks on gun laws. That's what we always hear, these attacks on gun laws. People on the right, people on the left, they always talk about attacking gun laws. Well, in 1981 or 84, something like that, we actually had over 20,000 gun laws related per, like pertaining to firearms and the ownership and equipment and legislation, what you can and what you can't have, what you can and what you can't do. What do you think there is now? I mean, I haven't looked up the number, but it's obviously way more, way more right. than what it is. So I would venture to say we have enough gun laws and the ones we have could be effective if they were actually enforced. And that was the issue that I encountered working as a manager of a gun store here in town, Eagle Armory, as well, was the constant mistakes and mishaps of the ATF. And then they would come knocking down our door quite literally sometimes sending field agents asking for information, background checks, because they mistakenly preceded a customer that they shouldn't have. Yikes. And this was not like last week. You're talking like eight months, 10 months. So they had all this time, three full days when you fill out the background check, the ATF and the FBI have. I will, it's really the FBI is doing the investigating and the background checks, right? So the FBI, by law, has three days to get back to you, the gun store, on if it's an approve, deny, or delay. But delay is generally that three-day. Generally, it's within a day or so, or if not, right there. And personally, it's been, from my personal experience, it's been every bit of like a couple hours to, I think, the longest it's ever taken me to pick up a gun like a day and a half yeah and then it was approved and i was back in there you know yeah a few days so in this one gentleman's case i feel bad for him so bad he had moved from chicago he said he kind of had a rough life growing up but he was trying to move away from the problems he moved here years ago um he had a brother that regularly used his name he always got in trouble used his name got in trouble used his name you know, he would get arrested and use his brother's name they'd have to track him down and figure out that it wasn't you know, his brother that was doing it, it was actually him. And so he was still running from this. He came into Eagle Armory to buy a gun one day and he got delayed. And he was the full three days where if the gun store, the FFL, Federal Firearms Licensee, does not hear back from the FBI on an approve or a deny while it's during this delay process, um, then by law, the gun is transferred. Because they waited the maximum waiting period allotted, which is three days, three full days 
for someone in the department to run a quick 30 second background check. So it is, it is reasonable, you know, it's, it's a reasonable time for them to get their job done. And they didn't really only have one job. Yeah. Yeah. It's approving and auditing and that's, you know, both are boring. So like eight to 10 months later, we get a phone call from the FBI asking to speak to someone in charge, you know, in reference to a 4473, which is the background check, um, claiming that they mistakenly approved this gentleman and he's a felon and he should not have a gun. And we are now tasked with calling this gentleman and bringing him back. And I said, hold on a second. You mean to tell me that, and I actually said this because this is, you know, this is kind of smart thinking and it threw me off and we had customers on the floor. We're super busy. This is, this is a Saturday when they call, of course, not on a Monday, they call on a Saturday, your busiest day. And I said, you mean to tell me that you had three full days to look into him? You didn't. So we approved him by law. And then eight to 10 months later, whatever it was, you finally call back. You finally looked into it and you think there's been a mistake and you want me dollar free yeah take take time out of your busy schedule to go yes fix our mess up here i'm gonna pull a dog the bounty hunter and go contact this guy no because one i'm gonna have to go pull his 4473 from file snoop illegally at his address or phone number which the phone number is not on there so i gotta look up his name go to the computer hopefully we got his phone number try and call him i mean this this process is crazy right all because they didn't do their job. And so I finally get a hold of the guy later on in the day. I call him. I left him multiple messages and letting him know, you know, the situation briefly, but he needs to call us. I'll fill him in on the rest. So he calls us. He's kind of freaking out. And he ended up bringing the gun back. Um, so I called the FBI and let them know we're in possession of it and that we basically just had to hold on to it in our gun safe until they sorted their issue, right? Well, Four months later, we get a phone call saying, oh, sorry. Um, You remember that one guy? Yeah, we made a mistake. He actually is approved. He can have his gun. You want to talk about an infringement of rights and absolute disgrace. It's disrespectful. It's completely inappropriate. And it's uncalled for how, how they can't even do their job. Then they try and do their job. They mess up. And they have to go back and mess up and apologize. Like, yeah, we we made a mistake. And this guy was, you know, obviously super excited to get his gun back. But he's like, I honestly forgot I even bought this thing. I didn't think I was planning on ever seeing this again. And that's a horrible thing for him to have to go through. Um, all because we have these massive bloated agencies that should maybe at one point in time they served a purpose but the point of a government agency is the same thing as like a committee when they create a committee in congress the objective is there's a problem so we create a committee to form solutions we throw a solution that's well formed by this committee at the problem we solve the problem dissolve the committee when was the last time tyler you've ever seen the government dissolve a committee no they're gonna ride that until it goes down Okay, so you're almost saying that they're incentivizing problems, incentivizing legal issues, gun laws being broke, gray areas, intentional misinformation and deception. Yeah. Well, gray areas can 
they can always cover their own tracks, cover their own butt with those gray areas. Oh, yeah. And with their lack of creative juices on the gray areas, so the gun industry takes to the creative gray areas as well. And hence, what was the manufacturer that had to redo a whole bunch of line guns that they just pushed out? Because there was something about the ATF with a new law. I'm trying to think what it was. I can't think off the top of my head, but... They basically had, you know, whatever, remember. tens of thousands of brand new guns pushed out, and they had to take them all back and redo something, whether it was a forward, just something ridiculous, something small. Where it where didn't it pass, like, right. the inspection. Yeah, of so they were, laws. it was illegal to even sell yeah. them, so they had to get them all back, so it's crazy. Yeah, and imagine the expense of that. I mean, oh, no, not only just refunding, but shipping mailing fixing the problem remilling or whatever needed to be done you know to fix the issue i mean that's that's a massive undertaking speaking of which did you see uh old smith and wesson finally came to their senses moving from massachusetts did you see that no i didn't absolutely why don't you uh google where they're moving to i can't remember um it's like kentucky or Tennessee, I can't remember, but Google, yeah, they, the owner actually, we'll Tennessee, yep. Maryville, Tennessee, beautiful, beautiful, I'm actually proud of them, finally, they stood up for themselves, I mean, they've been getting pushed around, they finally realized that they weren't welcome in their own state, you know, the state didn't want them, the legislators and all that are so oppressive as far as firearms that they didn't want a company that's out there manufacturing firearms in their state, so right. I'm glad they took a stand and uh, they're finally moving production to Tennessee. Good on them. Uh, you will definitely gain a lot more respect in the firearm community for that. Um, I always enjoy Smith stuff. I mean, they have Jerry Mishlek as their main shooter. Forever. Oh, that old timer yeah. is the man. Yeah, he's great. His daughter, Lena, is fantastic shooter as well. Always world champions too. I, I like watching both of their videos. Jerry, one of the fastest shooters. Watched him take a thousand yard shot with a revolver. That was crazy. You remember uh, that? That's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, it's he also uh, dumped a Barrett fifty BMG mag by hip firing it as quick as he could, and it was like the world's fastest time for hip firing a fifty BMG. It was, yeah. uh, it's, it's just crazy. <laughs> um, I mean, he's he's definitely put millions of rounds downrange, a hundred percent. Oh, for sure. Many different types of rifles, to pistols, to shotguns. He's just amazing. You know who's another guy like that? That's Hickok 45. Oh, yeah. That man, I, I'll give him a shout-out as well on the cowbell. Hickok 45 has been doing videos for, what, 15 years? You know, like since the start of YouTube, he's been putting up videos of guns. He's shot millions of rounds downrange as well. Um, always testing out guns and telling you honest feedback. He's and Usually, if, if someone's you know, doing the research and looking at a gun they're wanting to buy, they're going to stumble across a video or two that Hickox put out, and they're going to get a good straight review of it and, you know, know what they're getting into before they even touch the gun. So. For sure. One of my favorite ones is when he was rolling around on that kid's bike with the fully automatic Uzi. Did you see that? <laughs> no, I didn't. Yeah, he was right wheeling in circles. Obviously, he does all this safe. Yes. He has his own property and, you know, right. he has his own shooting range on his property, but he was wheeling around on a bicycle on his property, laughing, doing circles. And every time he'd pass by certain uh, targets he had set up in the woods, he'd <laughs> start dumping that Uzi. It was pretty funny. Uh, 
But I think we should uh, kind of drift this back into, since it's getting into hunting season, what kind of firearms that you have caliber-wise and maybe set it, whether it's pistol or rifle, what you're going to be using on what? Well, I mean, my deer rifle is 7mm mag. That's one of them things where it doesn't matter. Really, the, the range, you know, within reason, obviously, but I can pick them off no problem. Yeah, uh, seven millimeters long action. That's and for folks that don't know, you have short action and long action when you're talking rifle rounds. And short action encompasses, you know, such a variety. You know, you have like two, two, three, up to three oh eight um, at the kind of top end of short action. You go into long action. It's like thirty off six, you know, and seven millimeter, three thirty eights, and really big long flat shooting call rounds. Fifty BMG long long action. I mean, that, that's extra, extra big action, <laughs> big mama gym around. I don't know. I was trying to figure out the BMG, yeah. but what I'm going to be using, I'm pretty excited. I've got, I have a, um, Use your AR. yeah, I have my AR, but it's an 18 inch upper so I can kind of stretch it. Even though I'm not going to need it. Most shots here in Missouri is most people know you're going to be shooting at around 50 yards, maybe I'd say 50 yards here, yeah. for most people because there's it's so wooded. Um, you're gonna see like the butt of a deer, and the front half will be behind a tree, and he's like 80 yards away. So then you kind of kind of wait and watch him, maybe call him in a little bit, or just be patient. And then he kind of reemerges from behind a pine or something, and then you only see his head, so you got to wait. And by the time he finally gets a good shot, you know you're only at 40, 50 yards. So when you're when you're going to purchase a firearm for something like deer hunting, where it's not exactly large game, I like to call it kind of medium, you know, small to medium. Because really, I mean, man, most whitetails, aren't they like 40 to 60 pounds? Yeah, Some get up to 80. Area, but yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll be a little bit more than that, I'd say. Yeah, they get, they get big in sub areas, especially if you have corn plots, like food plots, farms around the area where there's lots of nuts and seeds and corn for them to eat you know a lot of the dough will fatten up and probably probably get that 80 pounds you know 100 um but generally meat wise you'll get 40 to 60 pounds of meat off a white tail um but i plan on using that 18 inch ar that i have uh 556 round uh it's pretty effective especially if you got a good scope uh, right now i'm just running a red dot but i anticipate under 100 yard shot so that's not a problem i've got that zeroed in already I mean, I could definitely take my AK. Is it necessary? Absolutely. No. No. You know, is it the best option? No, but... It's still know. a thirty caliber. Right. And, you know, that's that's in the same realms as, as a three oh eight. you know, so it'll... it With a good shot, it'll absolutely just lay a deer over because right. whitetail, when they get hit with a non-lethal shot or a semi-lethal, they take off. They're gone. They can cover so much ground in one minute that it'll take you, you know, 30 minutes just to catch up to them by that point. Yeah. They're, they're so fast, especially when they got adrenaline pumping. So it's pretty important to have a sufficient enough accuracy um, as well as sufficient enough caliber size to lay them over. And, and more so than the size. training as well, because if yeah. you're not putting bullets where you need to be, you shouldn't be out there in the first place. Having adequate <clears throat> equipment and gear. 
you know, not only going and sighting in your rifle, but making sure that your scope mounts are actually on there solid and not loose, you know, making sure that you're using the same ammo that you sighted in so you know you're not going to have any bullet drift. Um, all this is really important because you're trying to hit, you know, in a whitetail it is more forgiving. There's lots of area, of vital area that you can hit in lungs and heart. Um, I'm one of these, I actually would prefer a neck shot due to the fact that I like to eat the heart. Um, that's a, that's a big thing. So for me, a heart shot would kind of ruin that option, you know, for me to harvest the heart. Um, but neck shots are risky and that takes a really accurate rifle and generally a sufficient velocity or, and, or caliber size to lay it over. Um, but that's the key is velocity more so than caliber. That kind of goes back to, uh, conceal weapons. Like when people carry pistols, they're always, you always hear the age old argument. What, what caliber should I carry? A four to five tested and true. Stop on my power. 11. Like, come on, man. There's, yeah. there's advances and especially ammunition nowadays. I mean, you can get nine millimeter that has more penetration power. Magazine <laughs> capacity 40, to me is yeah. more important than, you know, any of that. Cause I can't, you know, I've never been in a life or death situation involving a firearm thankfully. And I hope to never be. So there's no way that I can like really train for that, you know, like to where I know how I'm going to perform because it's not life or death. You know, you could always go to simunition training and stuff like that and train with police, um, you know, to go do that. But I haven't done that other than some shooting competitions like IDPA, but you never know how you're going to perform. You know, Especially under those stress. situations. Yeah. yeah. You never know. So I'm going to go ahead and say I'm going to miss a third of the shots that I'm shooting just conservatively. So I want as mm-hmm. many shots as possible, as many chances as possible, as quick as I can, you know, not having seven rounds or n- eight rounds in an extended right. 1911 mag. When they make 15 round and 17 round mags for small compact carry guns, to me, it would be irresponsible and unacceptable to carry a, a smaller yet bigger caliber gun. I I personally carry a nine that has 15 rounds. And if I want to go a little slimmer for carrying like it's t-shirt weather, I'll slim the magazine down to a 12 flush fit or a 10 even, I believe I have. Um, but carry a backup round whenever I do like a backup mag in my pocket in case that ever happens. Um, but yeah, my main carry is a uh, Springfield Hellcat. I, that little pistol is just awesome. 13 yep. rounds in the extended mag, and you can put that on you no matter the season. Yep. Like I, I wear just T-shirts, and I'll do a appendix carry, you know, and you can't even notice it's there. Yeah, that's part of the uh, – I, I now refer to it as kind of the holy trinity of modern concealed carry guns. You have the Springfield Hellcat, which is one of my favorites for the grip and the feel. It feels very good. The grip angle is wonderful. I personally went with the FN 509, another one of the Trinity. Same gun, little bit bulkier grip, little bit different trigger length um, and pull. Um, and then you have the Sig 365. Yeah, the 365. Very for the Hellcat. Which for sure, all three of these guns are identical in size. They have minute changes. They all have really great triggers. I mean, phenomenal triggers. Um, especially for a carry gun, not too heavy and not too light. And for on the cheaper end of the spectrum, yep. as far as, you know. All three of them. You, you can get into, like, 
H and K, I'm an HK fanboy. Yeah, but for man, sure. they are proud of their pistols. So. Yeah, they start at like 700 and go up to you know 1200 on average. When you're talking the Holy Trinity here that we just referred to, the Sig, the FN, and the Springfield, you can get them kind of around the 600 range. You can get some sub 600 uh, used. You can also get the modular optic system versions, like what I got and what you got. Yeah, the OSP version. Yep. I think mine's the MRD. Something so it's already like got that. mills ready for a red dot to put right on top. Yep. So. And why you would want to do that? It's for fun. Some people prefer it. I don't. I actually prefer irons, um, iron sights on my, especially on my carry gun. Uh, it it's a pretty big learning curve, but when you when you do put in the training and the practice, you can be really fast and right. accurate with them. Yeah, this is the first uh, red dot I've actually had on any of my carry pistols, and it's definitely, like you said, it's a definitely a learning curve. You just, I mean, it's, for me, I'm such a precise, I, I want to make sure everything's lined up 100% before I obviously pull that trigger. It takes longer, yeah. It just takes yeah. just half a second longer to get that red dot just perfect right in there, so... Yeah. I don't know if I'll ever go with the red dot again on anything else, unless I'm doing competition shooting or something ridiculous. But And when you do that, that puts you into a modified class, so that bumps you up. You're also going to be yeah. racing against other people that have those kind of things, you know, and oftentimes compensators on the end. And, you know, that's something that I had to go into a slight modified group because I had a Zev trigger group on mine, um, on my Glock 19 that I had at the time when I ran IDPA. And I had the, I had the lightest zev trigger it was like it was, it was a scary <laughs> it was like trigger. two and a half two and three quarters of a pound i shot the fastest that day i mean it was so fast i also had like the third or fourth most errors that was my first competition i learned to slow down and breathe and you know get back on target but those triggers are a lot of fun to mess with that's for sure i i really like them my preferred pull weight it's somewhere around i would say four to five pounds on most guns. Anything more than that's just too heavy, too clunky. Anything less than that, just kind of scary. I don't want that hairline trigger, you know. Yeah, the average would be kind of four and a half to five and a half, especially for AR triggers. You'll find a lot of trigger groups in that range. You have single stage versus two stage triggers. Um, my preference is almost always two stage triggers. I like the take up to a nice, solid, crisp wall and then a clean break and a firm, like uh, detectable reset where like an audible reset where it clicks really loud and resets your trigger finger back. Uh, that's, that's always my preference. I like to have that second option of not squeezing off. You know, if, if the deer moves or if my target moves, or if I don't want to pull that trigger, I have that extra little, you know, option not to is single stage triggers, man. Like, like I had on that Zev, uh, Glock that I made, man, that thing was so light that you looked at it and it was a glass rod just snapped immediately. Very fast, but not... You, you had to do a lot of training. With yes, yes. I remember yes. the first time I shot with it, we were just in the woods kind of, you know, doing some target practice and it was one of those things where I just, I mean, you just, you're used to heavy pulls and at that time I had a HK P30 SK so it was a... That's the hammer version hammer of the BP-9. Right. My and favorite so version. if it's not already locked, you got that real heavy, probably, I don't know, six, seven pound pull. Yeah, it's probably and seven, it's, seven and a half. I mean, it, it's a heavy pull. And then you go to On the first trigger. Hair, yeah, hair yep. trigger. Man, it's just night and day different. But that's something I personally love 
uh, hammer fire guns. I I now have a striker fire again, but I love hammer fire because I got used to training with my CZ on the first trigger pull is a duty trigger where it's going to be six to seven pounds long and hard to make sure that you want to shoot and then every shot after that is clean and crisp at a single stage basically oh the rammy yeah i had the bd the the 2075 bd rammy um awesome gun it was the decocker nice little package compact full steel frame really heavy gun but my goodness that thing was a tank had the cleanest little trigger. I, What's I your thoughts shot. on full polymer versus uh, full steel? I don't, I'm personally not being sent to war, so I don't have any issue with either. And nowadays, in 2021, I have zero issue with our polymers. Our polymers now. They're so light and they're, they're heavy duty, you know. They're easier they're to really replace and stuff. They're easier to work on. Like if you have to, you can kind of fix a magpul mag with a soldering iron. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like you can you can heat and melt things back together. Um, aluminum mags you can kind of bend them back, but once they get bit too much, you got a TIG weld and on the flimsy, flimsy, extremely thin aluminum that'd be extremely difficult. I'm not going to try that. So polymers to me have gone so far now on the market that there's no reason not to. I mean, even the military adopted some Magpul. Was it Gen two or Gen three mags years back? So if if they're in full use for duty for the military as well as law enforcement and all over the world, I'm pretty sure they're going to be good enough for Mister Bug Out. Yeah, <laughs> you know. I just remember a, a buddy of mine. We went shooting one day, and he pulls out this Kimber, and you know, Kimbers are super nice, real nice, luxurious, pricey guns, guns. pricey you know? guns. And there is a forty five. He's like, oh shoot shoot circles around you and then i had my little nine millimeter i was just punching holes around you know directly in between all of his just blowout mess of a oh, yeah. accuracy so <laughs> i thought it was kind of funny actually you know i don't know why it is but a funny thing about kimber guys that you know they have a reputation i don't know if it's nationwide or not but like in our area the kimber guys seem to be the old man the old the old fogies that still are obsessed with the 1911. Uh, or just young kids with a lot of money to burn. Yeah. And they think it's just something That's special. like a prestigious name. And they're not aware of brands like Nighthawk or STI or Wilson Combat. <laughs> but they, for some reason, a lot of Kimber owners are the, uh, I care 45. I uh, got my $100,000 truck. Uh, you know, I go to, I go to Cowboy Church. Um, you know, me and my wife would go rope, rope cattle on the weekend. It's a, it's like a whole lifestyle for some reason around our area for Kimber. So this leads into my story that I'm going to tell you. I went to Shop Show in Vegas with Eagle Armory when I was working there. And Shop Show is the exposition, you know, to go to of all oh, firearm manufacturers. Latest, greatest, cool yeah, gear, out. gadgets, and guns. It's just so cool. And they have, you know, celebrity people in the firearm industry, um, whether you're on a YouTube channel or military people like veterans like Marcus Luttrell and Larry Vickers. Um, it just some really, really legendary people were there. Uh, some awesome American heroes were there. Um, but the day before the expo started, there's this thing called range day. 
and a certain number of dealers get a hand selection to come out. It's like dealers and press. If you're a gun dealer and you get chosen, you get to come out to the range in the desert and you get to test all these new firearms, the brand new ones. That would be sweet. It's amazing. And there are tons of class three weapons, fully automatics and short build rifles and all sorts of stuff there to mess around with, as well as extremely long range guns and 338 Lapua and, you know, fifties and stuff. It's absolutely a gun, a gun nuts dream come true, which is myself. I was just in awe. It's like a kid on Christmas running around and, and you're in the desert. So everywhere you look, it just feels like you're supposed to be shooting guns. You know, it's so cool. And after going to a variety of manufacturers booths, like some of the long range booths, like uh, Prairie Gun Works and um, Nemo, I ended up stopping by the Kimber booth because it was right next to the CZ booth. And I wanted to kind of see what Kimber was offering because we have a lot of Kimber customers back home in Springfield. So I figured I'd see what the new new firearms were. Well, I picked three firearms that were on the table to go shoot, or two, sorry, two firearms. <clears throat> one was a nine, one was a 45. I don't remember what the models were. I step up to the table. It's my turn. So the guy goes and re-asks for my choices and he goes and gets the first firearm. He hands me a magazine for the gun and i of course i don't double check the magazine or ammunition right because this is i mean that that would seem kind of redundant right unnecessary because you're you would think you've <laughs> got it taken care of if yes ahead of this booth right and, yeah you know. and i'm holding the 45 he hands me a nine millimeter mag for the nine like super carry and i don't notice and I just whoop, click it in the gun and so it, it fit in the magwell. It clicked, but I wasn't paying attention. Mm. It didn't, it was very loose, obviously. And it somehow clicked. And whenever I closed it, it fed the round and it seated right. kind of, but it was loose. And I pull up and I still don't notice. And I go click and it doesn't quite fire. So I, so I rack it and it spits the round out and it loads another one into the chamber somehow it feeds another nine in and i pull the trigger but this time the hammer hits the firing pin and it ignites it and it sounds like the weakest gut like a and everyone around me turns and looks as and i thought i just shot a squib which means uh, a round that doesn't leave the barrel it gets kind of squibbed yeah because it you know low powder charge uh maybe a bursted uh, brass, you know, any number of things could have happened. Right. And I'm looking down and the guy next to me said, I think your round shot right in front of you. It's like, what? That doesn't make any sense. So I rack it, lock the slide back, pull the magazine out, realize he gave me a nine millimeter. So I turn around my, like, excuse me. And the guy came up I'm like, dude, you, you, you gave me a nine. This is a 45. So he gives me the next mag, I put it in. I check it. It's a 45. Everything's fine. I shoot, dump the mags, like seven rounds. Cool. It was a regular 1911. Nothing special. Yeah. I'm still kind of shook up and shocked. But mistakes happen. Thousands of people. I get it. I get it. He, but it could have been he's in my, yeah, if something For sure, especially vice versa. Oh, yeah. It could have been a bad deal. So then he hands me the nine. And sure enough, dude. 
the guy hands me a 380 magazine and I notice it before putting in the gun and he starts walking away and I'm like, Hey, Hey, dude, you did it again. And the guy next to me is like, Holy crap. We got to leave this tent. And I did, I didn't shoot it. I was like, I'm done, man. I set down the gun and the dude next to me and then two people behind me, we left the line because <laughs> wow. I understand he might've had no sleep, might've partied too hard pre-shot show. Still, it's Vegas. With, like, luxurious high end well you know these are clients yeah technically we're clients you know we're we're dealers testing out the latest firearms and this guy just made a fatal error twice and you know that's that's not a not a good thing that that he did but it was just ironic it happened to happen to kimber in the kimber guys because we all just like a high point yeah something but a kimber is supposed to be like i said top of the line best of the best but man we, i'm i'm not impressed i've shot a few no. in my day and there's nothing fancy about it's just it. a regular 1911 that's extremely particular about the ammunition that you put through it and i'm not okay with that <laughs> sorry shots fire but they uh they seem to like like i hear it all the time back when i worked there at eagle where people come in oh, would you have any 147 grain uh, target rounds i'm like not really that's generally reserved for you know, heavy self-defense hollow point rounds. Oh, I know. I'm just, I got a Kimber and I'm like, oh, here it is again. And it only likes them heavy grain, high power. Oh gosh, that sounds expensive and finicky, especially for your carry gun, which you supposedly are expecting to depend your on your right. life. So with. if you can't train with this thing, you know, at a reasonable cost, are you going to do it? Yeah. No. Or if it's finicky at all, would you feel, uh, safe carrying that thing and having that in the back of your mind knowing that oh the last three out of seven times i went to the gun range i've had 10 failure defeats so this may or may not be a problem or may not even work yeah in you know in a heavy stress situation and a good point that i didn't know and it was brought to my attention while working there uh a co-worker denton adam he uh that's a shout out he gets a cowbell Denton told me he was an avid 1911 enthusiast and carrier, really skilled shooter, um, real good guy. He told me in order to carry a 1911 kind of responsibly and logically, you should definitely be a 1911 armorer. And I didn't quite understand what he meant at first. And I was interested in carrying one, of course, because everyone wants to carry a 1911 the legendary, you know, 845 ACP. It's it's a great historic gun. Um, but then he brought to my attention, it's like 90 parts in the 1911. When you buy a part to replace on your 1911, every single part is a file to fit. Mm-hmm. So there's not a standard size in a 1911, which means you're constantly tweaking tension here, a little less tension there. On this spring, you got to file a little bit on this spring to look. You know, there's there's little stuff you got to do to keep them running like tanks. But when you have everything set up extremely well, they shine. You know, and that's where you hear all the extremely great accuracy and they're super reliable stories from them. You know, but you yeah, got to have the knowledge. Crap, it's You know, it's it's useless. Having if it replacement work. parts would so. be a real big pain on a 1911 if you got to track down. Yeah. The, the number more complex of parts. stuff, the more problems you, you, you may run into. 
And then at that point, if you find something, you're going to have to have tools to be able to file to fit that part to your 1911 because odds are it's not going to fit. You know, that's, I didn't even think about that. So I kind of stopped carrying 45s and any 1911 base platform kind of from then on. And I moved on um, immediately to nine. And I kind of never looked back, honestly. You um, have so many options with nines. Now. It's so cheap, so available to what everyone says. Um, but magazine capacity, I have a set of nine dies for reloading. I only need one. I don't bother with 5.56 five, right now. I don't really care to. I don't shoot it enough anymore right now, honestly. Um, I don't have a good deal anymore, obviously. Since I don't work at the gun store, I'm not blowing through a 1,000 rounds a week anymore. But on 9mm, you know, if crap ever hits the fan, I can reload all my 9. I have all the components and powder and projectiles, primer. Um, but... It's much easier to do handgun stuff too. You know, you don't exactly have to be so precise with your measurements on powder. There's tends to be a wider window of how many grains of powder you use in handgun loads than rifles. You gotta be a lot more careful with that kind of, you know, velocity and powder of a rifle load. Right. A lot more power behind the bullet. <laughs> Escaping the barrel there for sure. Yeah, and that actually segues to another good topic. Weapons for home defense. I used to get people coming in all the time asking uh, what kind of gun is best for home defense. So you're at home, right? You're sleeping in your bed. Yeah. You hear some noises. Someone's kicking in your door at 2 o'clock in the morning. What are you going to grab? Yeah. You're going to grab your, your your little slugger, you know, baseball bat right beside the bed? Good luck. At least it's something, but good luck. Yeah, I'm not going to take that chance. Uh, and when you're talking about what – let's start with caliber first. Because I hear it a lot from a lot of the older generation, just get a 12 gauge shotgun or 20 gauge. Just get that's the most ignorant advice I've ever heard. Yes and no. You know, if if someone's not that skilled with their rifle or handgun or whatever, you know, you can always spray it or just cock it once, and most people get scared off the sound. But yes. see, that's that that's a myth that I don't buy though. I don't believe that someone that's drugged up or aggressive enough to scope the place in most cases, let's say what conservatively three out of five times they're messed up on drugs and they're breaking in anyway. Right. And if they're already making the decision to assault you, they don't care what you have in their hands. They're going to try and get you anyway. So I'm not sure I buy the shot. I don't know. Thing. A lot of burglars are half expecting no one to be home. For sure. A lot of them are, really weak people and they want right. an easy target for sure. But the ones that aren't are weak people fueled by drugs and that emboldens them. So you got to be careful about those. And my issue with the shotgun is this. Let's say your mother is in her 60s and she's a smaller lady. Do you think she's going to be able to carry and hold out an 18-inch barrel, 12-gauge, or even a 20-gauge shotgun for longer than five seconds? You're right. Realistically. I mean, and then you know my mom because she's yeah. your mom and she is a little lady. She's I love her death, but she can't shoot a shotgun. And there's no so. way if she managed to squeeze off one round that she's gonna be able to rack a new round in and get another one off to then follow it up with yet another shot. Right. So this is my compromise whenever husbands would bring their wives in or uh dads would bring their daughters in and be like my daughter's moving out you know to college she got her own place i want her to get her gun i'm telling her shotgun you know 
I talk them into getting one of two things. Get a handgun, even though they're not so great to shoot, they have a variety a of use. For like a woman? Like Absolutely. A 22 pistol? A 22 pistol. Easy to mess with? Their ammunition is cheap. Yeah. Magazine capacity is tremendous. Not very loud. So the recoil, the absolutely. Any ears or anything on, You're not, not going to go deaf. Um, your your follow up shots, you can, and most people can shoot about that fast with a 22 and not have any muzzle rise. That's a tremendous right. a lot less advantage. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, the, let's say the person breaking in has a shotgun or a rifle. If you're managed to get off 10 shots by the time they realize that you're even there, that's a tremendous advantage. Right. So it's something that they can handle. That goes back to fitting the gun size, weight, and caliber to the individual shooter for the particular use. So there's not a one size fits all, and there's not a one caliber fits all. Right. You got to have a general purpose for what you're going to buy that gun for. Sure, everyone's got the fun guns. You know, you don't. It'll really <clears throat> kind of fit into what you're going to use it for. I've got a few. Absolutely. You know, but it's just one of those things where you got to have a specific gun for a specific type. And I'm not necessarily going to go to my AR whenever someone breaks into my apartment because I live in an apartment right now. One, the velocity of 5.56 five, is coming out over 2,000 feet per second out of the muzzle. You're talking 21 to 2,400 feet per second. The amount of damage that does if you miss your target is tremendous. So – you have to think about that, you know, where your shots are going, because you are responsible for every single trigger squeeze, every projectile that comes out of that bullet you're responsible for. So overkill is real. You know, we always make jokes about those guys with like 50 desert eagles and stuff. And, oh, this is my big gun. I want to shoot through my neighbor's house and hit their refrigerator and hit the person on the other side. Well, that it's not real, but you do have to think about that. It's responsible gun ownership. And that's why... That bullet's got to land somewhere. Yeah. You know. So. That's why I recommend, since we've already recommended carrying something like a 9 millimeter, if you're a concealed carry permit holder, <clears throat> to also think about carrying something called a PCC, or a pistol caliber carbine. Something that's a pistol caliber, like a nine millimeter, a 40, 45, even they make 10 millimeter carbines, you know, and you can get these on a rifle platform, or like we discussed earlier, one of the gray areas where it kind of set up like an AR where it's an AR pistol, where it has a, an arm brace or stabilization brace or a tail hook. I've got the CZ Scorpion. That's absolutely hands down my favorite gun. And anyone I bring to the range, that's their favorite gun to shoot, hands down. They yep. love it, and it's, it's technically a pistol. You can hold it and shoot it like a pistol, but it's got uh, it has an a shock brace wave, on it. Shockwave stabilization Correct. brace. yeah. And so you can really put it right in that shoulder, and I mean, it's just perfect pickup, just get great target acquisition just instantly, and it's just a great, cheap, Fantastic. Yeah. And you ask yourself, why Why would you want this instead of a shotgun or, or an AR? Or why wouldn't you just use your pistol? Well, I'll tell you, it goes back to the follow-up shots and the recoil, as well as magazine capacity. You're talking the capacity of some of these carbines, you're, you know, regularly 20 to 30 round mags, especially if you get a lower that has a Glock receiver that can take Glock mags. You can get the stick magazines, the 31 round stick mags or 33 rounders. 
you know, and there's even drum magazines yeah, with 50, 50 rounders. 50 rounders for the yep. score, man. Same as mine. The they've got. So same as my BMT. At your disposal is insane. And it takes the same ammunition as that handgun sitting on your nightstand. And yeah, my uh, that Scorpion, it will chew through anything. I will load a mag with steel case or brass case, just random odds and ends. I'll put a hollow point in the middle of those, and it'll just chew it up like nothing and deliver accuracy every time. I will issue a warning though: if you have a girlfriend or a wife or a young shooter and you own one of these pistol caliber carbines or pistol caliber pistol carbine setups uh they will want to commandeer your gun <laughs> they're gonna try to shoot it all the time it, absolutely yeah. it's it's a it's a blast to shoot quite literally um it and it, there's, so there's no recoil at all yeah so it's very easy it's also for the newest quieter to shoot too oh, since the yeah. bullet is a little bit further away with the barrel and it's still a pistol round you can get away with those foam earplugs and you don't have to have the over the ears when you're shooting one of those i learned that actually with the keltex sub 2000 um you can i would never recommend this but in a pinch you can use a sub 2000 in the woods nine millimeter without hearing protection and it doesn't really ring your ears that bad especially if you're using like 115s um, or 124 grains it's it's not that bad uh but something like a nine millimeter pistol caliber carbine for home defense, you're not going to have as much of a risk as a rifle round with velocity, with going through drywall and things like that. Right. A hollow point. Another good thing is what I kind of kept in the back of my mind while I'm starting to collect all these guns over the years and stuff is I try to keep a lot of the same calibers the same. So if I can, you know take out of the scorpion, throw it right in my pistol, throw it right in a couple other guns that are nine millimeter based. So much easier to just get one set ammo that can go to five to six to 10 different guns, you know? Oh, for sure. Um, that's especially if you're like me and you don't have a lot of money. Um, <clears throat> that's, you know, I don't have a lot of money. I don't have all the reloading stuff, so I'm not going to go and cross platform with a bunch of different calibers yet. You know, I'll have a few, just so it's it's manageable and maybe one odd caliber gun just because it's cool you know like a five seven or something like that those are really cool guns too five sevens ruger's five sevens really awesome i got a chance to shoot one of those too i shot the fn for years you know and those things are so cool the uh not mistaken you get like a 30 round mag with them i mean it's just such a cool round and then on the on the I guess Ruger. he's still firing five seven. Oh yeah, Federal makes it. Available. FN makes it. I think Fioki might make it now. There's tons of manufacturers. I mean, five sevens really prevalent. You might <clears throat> odds are your local gun store has a few boxes, and if not, they definitely can order some in from the distributors. It's it's not a rare ammunition. Right. It's a miniature pistol size rifle round. I like to think of it as kind of like the needler on Halo. You know, Oh, yeah. That old pink gun, purple, yeah, it shoots the needles. It's kind of like that. It's such a small, extremely fast-moving round. It's very flat-shooting. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, that would be pretty cool. Um, As far as that goes, I'm trying to think of, you know, of course, I've got a couple AR platforms and stuff. I don't shoot as much as I should, but like I said, every time I go to the, the course, there's... 
I'm shooting nines. It's just cheaper. Everything about it's just a little bit more, just better off for me. I think. Yeah, I don't feel so bad whenever I kill three to five boxes, you right. know, of fifty rounds each. I'm like, I just killed a couple hundred rounds at what used to be twelve to fourteen dollar nine boxes. Now they're twenty to twenty two dollars a box. So now it's getting up there to kind of forty and forty five prices. Of what it used to be about six seven years ago so nine's creeping up but it's still really cheap but right i mean well i mean you know you fill up an ak mag and blow through that in four or five seconds or whatever the case is and like yeah that's a couple bucks just gone yeah it's, it's, it's just gone you know that's why i couldn't imagine owning you know back in the same same days i'm talking about six seven years ago when um 50 bmgs were like anywhere from eight to twelve dollars a shot that's ludicrous now i'm sure they're you know twenty to thirty dollars a shot they're sure they're extremely expensive and then you got friends you, know, you fill your mag up four or five rounds in your mag and you go shooting boom 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 you do the math and you almost hit a hundred bucks yeah it's and it's so know, crazy sometimes those people don't really understand you know you take you know let's go shooting something they don't really understand like how much is you're just blowing so they're just unloading. You yeah, I think it's a video game. But hey, I'll man. take anybody <laughs> safe shooting with me. Anybody safe that's willing to listen and respect the safety of firearms. I'll take them shooting and legal to, to shoot. And most of them, I won't charge them. But out of common courtesy, bring some money for your gun buddies if you're going to shoot. Ten to thirty bucks. Bring them some money. Throw them some money for their ammo, or figure out what caliber they're shooting. Or what ammo that they use and uh try and buy some throw them their way if you're going to go use their guns it's yeah that's that's super annoying we all have friends that's is this your ammo right here yeah and the next thing you know you look back and they've shot half of it <laughs> or you know they bring one little gun and you know a half a box of ammo and they oh, I'm out. that in five seconds well can i use your ammo uh no you can't actually yeah you just got to sit there and time out and watch me yeah like an idiot because you shot through all your ammo and didn't bring more than one box or didn't bring more than one gun. Right. I I always bring at least two guns down to the range. Always. Oh, man. I'm trying to think. I'll have minimum two pistols. Usually, I, I, 99% of the time, I'm bringing the Scorpion. It's just always a fun, yeah. fun one. Then I'll bring an AR or two, maybe a shotgun. But, yeah. I usually bring, I would say, four to six. I actually got to break in the brand new BNT GHM9, which stands for Grasshopper Mouse 9. Um, really funny name. I didn't realize until after I bought it. And I was like, why do they call it GHM9? It's a Swiss company, so I figured it stands for like, you know, something kind of Germanic Swiss or something. Well, it turns out, no, it's way simpler than that. And it's English. It stands for Grasshopper Mouse we all know the CZ Scorpion, along with the MP5 from HK, has been the number one and number two nine millimeter subcompacts, you know, out there. It's that's the one used by SWAT and military um, all over the country, um, variety of places in the world, you know, special forces, CIA, even to carry a, a nine, the same ammo that you know that their handgun would use. Um, well, BNT wanted to kind of have a little play on words since they were modernizing and 
kind of making a a Swiss super nice precise version of a subcompact nine like this. And they came out with the Grasshopper Mouse nine. And what a Grasshopper Mouse is, if anyone's familiar with it, it's a desert mouse. And these mice, number one diet is scorpions. And they are bold enough because they have a very unique trait to hunt down very venomous scorpions. And whenever they get stung, they convert the venom into painkillers. So these mice literally are just getting dosed with painkillers while they're attacking and eating this scorpion just long enough to eat them. And then they generally pass out <laughs> because of all the painkillers yeah, in their system. Crazy. And so the play on words is the grasshopper mice eating the scorpion. Yeah. It's kind of the scorpion, the CZ scorpion yeah. killer. It's like the modern scorpion. It's not killing the scorpion. The modern scorpion's phenomenal. It's my favorite one up until the BNT. But the BNT is in a whole new price category. So I don't even call them the same. Um, so it's not fair to compare them. Right. They shoot almost identical. One's just polymer mostly, which is the CC Scorpion. So it's lighter. Um, it's never freezing on your hands in the cold time, which is actually. Uh, well, and whenever they came out, they were sub. I want to say I, I didn't give, you know, five, six hundo yeah. or something. Now you can't find one for under eight, nine. If yeah. you're lucky. That's got nothing. That's bare bones, you know. I also know that Zach did hook you up from Eagle Army. Well, that's true. Yeah. Zach, to your heart, shout out to Zach. You got the cowbell. Ay, 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 ay. He uh, he always hooks us up. Great prices still. Um, Favorite local gun store. Absolutely. Eagle Armory. If you've got a chance, head down to Springfield, Missouri. Eagle Armory. Yep. They'll it's get you fired up. Right. Like guns, ammo, prepper gear, outdoor stuff, hunting, survival. Yeah, right. Whatever you want to do. I mean, they got it all. Optics, their optic selection, second to none in town. They're like the premier Vortex dealer. Uh, awesome guns. They can order anything. They got so many distributors. Um, and it's funny. You walk in there, right? And it's just wall to wall of just awesomeness, okay? You walk into anywhere else in this Anywhere else, like in town, you know, different local gun shops, and they got maybe two Glocks in the wall, and that's it. Like, come yeah, on, it's give me a little bit more of a selection. And they always say, well, I can order it for you. Well, listen, man, I want to hold it. Yeah. Because you know how important the feel and the size and the weight is to not only carry but for use? Because I know through my experience in shooting and selling and trading and handling firearms that – I can pick up a gun, see the size, barrel length, feel the weight, feel the material it's used with, the center bore, like how far the barrel is above your your grip, you know, right. and determine kind of roughly what the uh, what the recoil is going to be like and things like that. But most people don't have that experience and they can't. So in in order for them to know if this is the right gun for them, they got to be able to see it, touch it, and feel it. That's just like ordering shoes online. All right, you don't really know what you're getting into. You try them on, and hopefully it fits. You know what I mean. So I'd rather have it in my hand. I want to see it fit before I make that purchase. Yeah, I mean that was one of the the main business models for Zach is have a lot of inventory, high quality inventory of, you know, for most price ranges. We're starting mostly at three hundred dollars. We don't like to sell guns under that for a reason because most guns under that they're not going to be extremely reliable we don't yeah. have problems yeah we don't really want to put our names nor do we really want to endorse carrying a firearm that cheap there's one or two exceptions 
that people blow up the Taurus PT 11 G2 that blew up forever. That was like a $220 gun. One of the best dirt cheap carry guns out there. Um, I mean, it was extremely good for the price and really well feeling. And, uh, but in the most part, your life is worth more. I promise you, no matter who you are, your life is worth more than two, $300. Even if you have to wait, I mean, invest in your life, invest in your safety. That's the way I kind of look at it. it. Your life, 100% is worth more than, you know, a few hundred dollars. So if you're able to save up a little more, just wait a little longer, buy something from a reputable brand that you know has a history of serviceable, reliable firearms. And has a warranty. Yeah. Know. Yeah. I mean, these big manufacturers almost... Every single one of them obviously has a manufacturer's warranty from defects, from you know anything like that that has issues. So if there was a genuine problem with the firearm, not the way you treated it, but if there was a genuine problem in the manufacturing or assembly of the firearm, they'll take care of it. Whereas if you if you don't go with a reputable company or you don't spend a lot of money, often you're on your own uh, with the fixing, and you're not really going to have gunsmiths working on a dirt cheap gun it's not worth their time and that's the thing that's just like getting a really crappy beater car like sure you pay two hundred dollars for that 1913 escort you know but it's it's one of them things obviously it's not a thing but yeah uh you know you get out what you pay in in most cases yeah and this is one of those with firearms you definitely do up to a point of course you're gonna have your snobby pricey uh, expensive brands for a variety of reasons, but in almost all parts of life, I've learned that the high mid option is the best. If you go for not the one that's the most expensive, not the cheapest, but the one or two that's in the middle, shoot for the one that's like the higher grade version of the middle. And generally, you're going to have the best luck, you know, with whatever product that is, but it definitely ranged true with the firearms. So, you know, stick to your main brands, Ruger, Springfield, SIG, CZ, this list goes on and on. Just make sure, you know, Smith and Wesson, make sure that you're, you know, those Glock fanboys are going to be pissed. Yeah. Glocks. Yes. I know. But Black. that's kind of unsaid. Everyone knows about it. Yeah. I, it was rhetoric, but you know, just get something that people, know by name like like we just said that save up for if you're using it as a carry gun or a home defense gun if it's not just a range toy make sure you invest in a reliable piece of machinery you know that's uh <clears throat> that's it's invaluable you're gonna need it when you need it and it has to be working you know it has to be well maintained and working what let's let's segue into uh conceal carry a little bit here. I know uh, there's lots of conversation on where on the body, you know, where should I carry it? Uh, what's the best place? There they go throwing that word out again. You know, and what's I'm, the I'm best? I'm going to say it's 100% situational because yes. just, just body forms alone, me versus you right now, you know, I've probably got, what, 50 pounds on me or on you, you know, and it's one of them things where I can't <clears throat> carry certain guns comfortably appendix if they're just a hair too big like i like my hk vp9 my beloved favorite pistol that i own 
I can't carry it sometimes right on my appendix because, you know, I got a little bit of gut. kind of sticks out. It's just not comfortable. But I can throw that at my uh, well, about 435 position on my back, and it's absolutely perfect. So it's kind of one of the things where it depends on the body type for sure. Yeah, and that's that's the biggest issue, body type and situation. Um, seasonal as well during the summer versus winter time when yeah. you're going to be wearing clothing more is, or less yeah. clothing. Correct. Yeah. And the size of your gun is very important. Someone my size, if you're 5'9", five, 5'10", five, you know, 150 to 170, you're not really going to be able to easily get away with carrying a full-size, full-frame firearm. Um, so that's why I like the compa- compacts and subcompacts. Uh, they, they, they're just a much better fit. And they're engineered now to where they can hold the same capacity full as size. full yeah. size. So why, yeah. you know, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, my my favorite carry style is appendix. I have a few different reasons. Um, but if you can, if you can try and carry appendix for most people, and I'll kind of explain a couple scenarios that I've been in that, that it would have been good, and then a couple scenarios where it actually was good. First one where it would have been good. I carry it in the, about the five o'clock position, you know, behind me, above my wallet, pretty much, you know, under my shirt, under a, under another long sleeve kind of flowy shirt as well that hangs down and loose. And I have been hugged by people and I've witnessed them tense up <laughs> and a visual face change when they've accidentally pat the frame of my gun in a hug or when they have trying to walk behind me and they put their hand on my lower back, you know, to because they were falling or moving beside me and they accidentally touched my gun. That's a problem. Yeah. That, you know, the discretion is then gone and you're no longer really concealed. Like someone else knows about it. And also, if you don't have the proper equipment as far as a holster, anyone can just buy a little cheapo holster. If it doesn't have the right retention, if, if it's not right, your gun could potentially fall out. You know, yeah. It, it, easily. Just sitting on a, a bar stool or something where it's just crinkled enough to where it'll just kind of work its way yeah, out. It That's has to be want. Kydex in my eyes. There's no other mm-hmm. acceptable material unless it's really firm and made out of a polymer or something like that. But even still, if it's not a Kydex, I have suspicion. Kydex is a... Uh, <clears throat> well, and the good clamping mechanism too. Or yeah. If it's a clip or something like yeah, that. Yeah, where it has a natural adherence to the trigger guard when you slide your pistol in your kydex holster just the compression alone it's heat morphed and vacuum sealed around your gun or a blue gun that is your gun and so whenever you click it in you'll actually hear an audible click and that's the kydex holster grasping onto the trigger guard and that's something that is crucial with a holster a firm hard shell holster that protects your trigger is vital everything else can kind of be you know, objective at that point, but it needs to protect your trigger. It needs to clamp on and hold on to your firearm and it needs to sit it in place and not move around all over the place. So for appendix carry, they have all sorts of attachments like um, add-on parts that you can get for your appendix carry holster, like a little claw that pushes against your pants. Yeah, I've seen those. I, I yeah. wonder if they're actually as effective as they well, are. Well, for time. you, absolutely. Because yeah. if for, for your case, you a little bit taller, a little bit bigger guys, it pulls the frame away from your body a little bit and angles your gun out to allow people that have a little bit of a gut to carry appendix. 
and eliminate that problem of accidental touches during hugs or movement. Because think about it like this, guys. If you're appendix carrying and someone's accidentally touching your gun, you have a problem because they're touching your groin. So that area is not really accidentally touched very often. You know what I'm saying? That's not an unintentional touch. So that tends to be a pretty safe place for something like a firearm or a weapon because it's, you know, it's all yours. It's, it's kind of a secret, secret between, you know, you and you, you know, you know that you've got something and concealed is out of sight, out of mind. You don't tell anyone, you don't want anyone else to know it's there because you don't want to be the target. Yeah. You know, and I've, I've seen, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, a guy on a motorcycle, you know, he's carrying the six o'clock position. So that's right above his butt crack, you know. And as you know, most people on bikes, he was wearing a t-shirt. So as you're going, the back is going to ride yeah, up. It's just flat so this was in plain sight. So he was at a stoplight in front of me. Anyone could have easily just walked out and pulled that straight from his pants. You know what I mean? It's one of the things where that's just poor position, I would think, to try yeah. to put it. You might be used to that position, but if you're riding bikes and stuff, you just, you know, you don't That's, want it to be shown off. Don't show it off. It's exactly why the education of a, a concealed carry course is still, in my eyes, crucial. Especially if you think you're going to carry the responsibility of walking around with a firearm concealed. <clears throat> just because legally we are able to does not mean that everybody should, correct? I agree. So this is something not everybody should jump on a motorcycle and go driving around just because you have the ability to go take the test. Well, you know, some people, it's not the best decision, you know, to be doing that. And legally, carrying around a firearm without any sort of training and without practicing regularly is irresponsible. It's reckless. It's not what the gun community wants, and it's not what we advocate nor educate. It's not what we need either. Headlines blowing up about some idiot getting his gun ripped out of his Uncle Mike's fabric holster and held up at gunpoint by his own gun, or even worse, killed by his own gun because he's open carrying. Um, but segues also into the constitutional carry. <clears throat> While I am... 100% Second Amendment supporter, and I'll never vote for any law that infringes upon gun rights. I don't believe legislation is the course of action. I believe education is gun safety. And this is the same instance, just because legally we are able to constitutionally conceal carry in our state. I am for that. But I am on the exact same token for adequate training, relentless practicing, an education on the legals, where, what, and how about concealed carry, because that's just as important as saving someone's life. You have to make sure that what you're doing is actually okay in the right course of action, because when tensions are high and emotions are high and you think someone is in a life or death situation or you think yourself is in a life or death situation, you're not going to have the clearest thought and you're not going to be able to think through these situations. But if you go through one of the classes offered by like Greg Yen from AAA Concealment, um, he's a national champion competition shooter. He's amazing. He's also a concealed carry teacher here in town, teaches classes in Springfield, Missouri. <clears throat> and 
he in his other job is also a hairdresser, a salonist. He's fantastic at that job. <laughs> the women love him. But he taught me more in my concealed carry class than I ever would have suspected that I would learn in a concealed carry class. Because, you know, coming from the background that we did, I thought I knew all gun safety. I've had two different gun safety courses outside of the actual hunter's education. And it was in Royal Rangers as well as another place. So it's, I've, I've had all these safety rules and things ingrained in me, but I didn't have the legality. Right. And there's always tips you can learn along the way. You yes. Know, you might have a, always a concept or an idea of it, but there's always something to learn. Always something for you to learn. Yeah. And Greg <clears throat> helps clarify all those gray areas and then also the black and whites to help you know when it's justified. It, because there's so many instances where you would think you would be able to pull out a firearm and you would be sitting in prison for life. Yeah, just just brandishing the firearm <clears throat> and is just a That's bad a felony. Thing. Even if you're, you yeah. know, pissed off, the guy in front of you just cuts you off in traffic or something like that. That is not a case to be pulling out a firearm. No, never. Actually, never. The only time is when someone is about to die, when someone's life is in danger. You know, that's 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 what it's there for, for concealed carry purposes. It's for protection immediately because the police can only show up when they're able to show up. And you are your own shepherd. You understand you are guardian of your own flock. And whoever that flock might be, it might be the three customers in the subway line right in front of you. You know, it might be your family at church in the whole congregation. It might be your school and you might be one of these safety resource officers or a teacher that's one of the safety resource officers that's allowed to carry a firearm for your classroom. You know, that is a huge responsibility and I don't take it lightly. I have my concealed carry permit and I'm very glad that I got it. Greg taught me lots of stuff that I needed to know um, about it. And that's very important for new shooters veteran shooters, any type of shooter to go, make sure that you get that card. Um, even if you don't want the permit, that's fine. Go through the class, figure out the legal side of it, because that's such a finicky thing. The last thing you want to do is be sitting in prison because you thought you were justified. And going through that direction, what do you think about like the USCCA, you know, where they have kind of a they have attorneys at hand where they specialize in these kind of scenarios yeah. and stuff. Is that, are those types of memberships worth it in your opinion? Well, yes and no. There's lots of scams out there. There's right. lots of people capitalizing on the opportunity to make money no yeah, matter they what claim, it is. You know. And there are like U.S. Law Shield is one. USCCA is another. And if I'm not mistaken, one is a little better than the other as far as what I've read and what I've heard from real life scenario people customers basically that have had to utilize their services if i'm not mistaken u.s law shield is the second or third best people don't really like to go to that one because they have a cap off at like a, I found the top a, five. a, a hundred thousand yes the best ccw insurance today as of 2021 is ccw safe second one second call defense Third is Armed Citizens Legal Defense Network. 
Fourth is U.S. CCA and yeah. fifth is U.S. Law Shield. I'm not sure okay. which order, but that just yeah. says those are the top five. Absolutely right now. What I'm familiar with is U.S. CCA has a much larger. Uh, That's more of a pot of money. Type of thing, no, right? it is an insurance. Right. It is a basically it's a disaster scenario insurance where you buy in, you pay insurance, and then if you it's basically pre-legal fees. You are buying attorney and legal fees and the whole thing. And some of them do not cover up to trial or up to certain amounts. And I think oh, that's wow. U.S. Law Shield and ones like this. You have to look into these different rates and services, pick out which one fits best for you. Talk to a, an attorney if, if you need to ahead of time. Figure out what you need to do. But if I'm not mistaken, USCCA and I'm sure some of the other ones are like this, they will have an basically an endless amount or like up to a million dollar cap. But then, you know what that does? You have the prosecuting attorney, like what you saw in the like Brown case in St. Louis and Ferguson, where if you were to have that insurance at $1 million, guess what? They're going to go 1 million and one. Just to overthrow that. And you're yeah. in, or like 3 million. Or ten million, and then you're not covered. So make sure you look into the rates and what the services are offered, because I do know they have much different levels. You know, in, like in between the different websites and services offered. But it is a wonderful thing to look into because from the second you get arrested, if you have those services or questioned by the police, they are your attorney. They're your legal defense. You get their entire company's resources at your disposal up to your rate whatever you got so that's a massive head start in a battle that if you're in an area where it's real tough in a state maybe that's not so gun friendly or self-defense friendly unlike a missouri or a texas where we have a stand your ground state and castle doctrines and expanded castle doctrines um if you're like you know in a state that has an obligation to flee from danger then this is 100% a no-brainer. I would definitely invest in legal counsel ahead of time and not after the event has taken place because they'll be able to jump on your case immediately and start helping you out, hit the ground running. And I mean, most most civilians won't have the know-how to get, you know, if they accident, say they accidentally were at the supermarket, thought their life was endangered and accidentally pulled, or not accidentally pulled out the gun, they pulled out their weapon thinking that, you know, they had to relinquish the threat. And then now they're sitting in jail just because someone called the cops on them and there was no threat to begin with. So it could get dicey. And if you don't, yeah. you know, know the laws, you could be sitting in jail for a long time just but, from a silly mistake. And see, that's something that a concealed carry permit can very much ease tensions and help your case, not only in shooting situations, if you actually had to draw your weapon, but if you were like what you just mentioned, if you were in a Walmart parking lot doing a gun exchange, right, in our state. I'm specifically speaking about Missouri, folks, um, not your state. Um, in our state, legally, let's say you were doing a firearm exchange with a private citizen because we are a non-registry state. The serial numbers for firearms are not registered to any specific owner. It's just background check is done on the individual to ensure that you're not a felon or breaking any laws like that and you are allowed to do a private sale with another law-abiding citizen and you can do this in well really anywhere honestly um 
the law allows you to do that. We have places like in front of the police station. There's a couple parking spots with a camera right in front of the doors for gun sale transactions. Safe places. That's where I like to call people because if they have hesitations about meeting me in front of a police station, I know one of two things. One, they're about to harm me or rob me. Or two, they're a felon. And either way, I want nothing to do with that sale or transaction. And I will even throw in the, hey, I'm going to be taking a picture of your ID and writing up a bill of sale. And if they give me anything other than that sounds great, I do no business with that private transaction. This is the personal responsibility of gun owners in non-registry states like this to not supply felons and stuff. And, you know, it's 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 a very serious matter. Um, well, they have very cut dry laws about, you know, felons cannot purchase or can't be in possession, right? They can't have any. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And or access. Right. You can have them in the house, but they got to be locked up and the felon cannot know the code. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? It was so anyway, to, to go back to the Walmart parking lot, let's say you meet in Walmart because you're meeting this gentleman and you're going to buy his rifle. And you pull open your truck bed next to him and he brings the rifle and a case over and he opens the case and you're holding it, he's holding it. Uh, all of a sudden, police show up within a few minutes. You're, you know, what's going on? The cop, more than likely, as long as you're not holding the gun, is going to come out real nice and calm. Evening, gentlemen. You know, how are we doing? And he's going to tell you nature of the call, which generally, you know, someone, someone called the cops. Someone on probably you just saw, they they saw fire. seconds of someone holding a gun and got yeah. scared. And oh, this is one. where the terminology legally is important. And you learn this in Concealed Carry Course with Greg Yen. Brandishing versus not brandishing. Brandishing is a defined legal term that's important that you understand. Brandishing is displaying the weapon in a threatening manner. So if I were to point my fingers directly at you, that type of brandishing. Yeah, right? yeah, especially if you have a gun and you're you know, pointing it around, you're, you know, you're cursing, you're mad, or you're, you're yelling and you got a gun in your hand. That is counted as brandishing a weapon. You're not allowed to do that. Um, and I agree with those laws. 100%. I agree with those laws. But what the cop will do, they'll show up and be like, oh, what are you guys doing? Oh, I'm doing a gun sale or a gun trade. Okay. Would you mind if I see your IDs? Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm just going to run just to make sure you're not, you know, and this might not even happen. This is even going one step further. The cop might not even run your ID. Odds are they're going to be like, oh, we got a call that you guys were waving guns around. Oh, no, we're doing a gun sale. Okay, well, have a good day. That's basically what's going to happen. But they might ask for your ID and run it. That's, you know, an extra step. But it's no big deal here. That's that's part of the personal responsibility um, with firearms that goes hand in hand with the whole community. We believe in safety. We believe in responsibility. We love guns, but we know what they can do. We're not dumb. We know what is capable, but they're not. that damage is not exclusive to guns. So we can't go blaming inanimate objects for them. That's why I don't have any issues with firearms. I know some people still do ignorantly, um, but you know I don't have any issues with them, obviously. I'm a big fan. <laughs> but we were also taught from a very early age, you know, never point at the bad direction or anything like that and you know i mean just kind of the basics is as a gun owner you know you just can't be can't be reckless can't be stupid that's why this all should be taught in school again and 
what, second through fourth grade, second through fifth grade, somewhere in there, you should absolutely teach gun safety, basic gun safety. My goodness. I mean, we used to. They're used. Believe this. Check this out. New York City. New York used to have a shooting team. And it was amazing. They used to go from school in their class, go downstairs, and they'd shoot 22 long rifles. They had marksman classes and everything. And then all of a sudden, you know, guns are dangerous. Guns are bad. People start hating them because guns are the ones that's hurting people. Well, and media spreads, you know, ridiculous facts or not necessarily facts. Or but Just parts, parts of the story, the parts right. that don't matter, the parts that aren't accurate. Yeah, it's, it's real weird, but they know they know what the effect would be by teaching proper gun safety in school and unfortunately i think the powers that may be a lot of the government people they don't like that because it keeps the cycle going in a lot of these a lot of these cities if gun violence continues then gun laws can continue to push forward and legislation can grow and more fines and more money and more revenue in the wrong way I don't know about you, but I don't want a country that makes our money off of slaves or prison work or locking people away. I don't believe that's human. I don't believe Stripping rights no, for no reason. I don't believe that's Christian. I don't believe it's human at all. You know, this is not something we should do. Um, locking people away. That's another thing. Locking people away for putting something in their own body. In my eyes. This is going off subject a little bit, but it's kind of the libertarian in me. I got to say it. Criminalizing ingesting drugs to me is so asinine, it doesn't make any sense. You know what I mean? By If you're allowed to drink yourself into diabetic coma on sugary sodas, if you're allowed to drive 100 miles an hour on the highway because – there's no, there's no policeman in your car stopping you, right? You can just romp on the gas and you can change lanes. You can drive on the other side of the highway, right? You can do all these things because it's personal choice. It's personal freedom. And I just don't see merit in criminalizing the actual user. Now, you, you can have another discussion about the manufacturer or processing or distribution legalities but to me i think you're criminalizing the victim again and that to me is the exact same argument as the firearm with second amendment are you or are you not criminalizing the victim the victim is the firearm owners the law-abiding citizens that we wake up every day go to work go home don't break laws that we can help and we don't hurt anybody with our firearms Yet these laws hurt us, and they infringe on our rights. We're the victims. Should you be prosecuting the victims for something that they're not even doing any harm to anybody else? My libertarian side says no, and I feel the same way with the drug use. I'm not condoning drug use to any degree. I'm also just saying that I don't believe the government should be involved in regulating anything like that. I don't believe we should be dictating what people should be able to put in their body or what we should be able to buy. Like 
this whole administration, I'll talk a little politics for us just a second, talking about tracking your payments above $600 in your account to the IRS, mandating a report of any amount of money that's over $600 or greater. Who are you really penalizing? The rich people? You mean to tell me that rich people have a check of $600 coming in? This is this is outstanding infringement. I mean, people from across the political line, we need to understand that it's very possible to have the same agreements with people on different parties. We need to get out of the party think, get out of the group think, and start getting down to policies. Start talking to your neighbor, despite what Australian government wants you to do. They don't want you to talk to your neighbor right now. I don't understand why. Because this is something that we should be talking all the time about these controversial issues instead of silencing and just talking trash on the other side or getting angry because we don't understand or it's something that we don't agree with. You know, this is any topic, plug it in, and you're going to have contrarians that are going to argue till the death on YouTube or Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. There's not a single topic that you can find that you're going to have everybody in agreement. And we've got so divisive, we fail to listen and communicate with each other anymore. And this goes back to literally the whole point of our podcast here. Not only are we brothers, but we're trying to get other people to take those outdoor experiences, to go sit around a fire because you will talk. And eventually you're going to say something that someone else around doesn't agree with. And you're going to be forced to be sitting in an uncomfortable situation on the spot and guess what it's good to be uncomfortable gotta learn hash it out sometime and you're going to talk about it and you're going to grow you know maybe you won't but you might learn something yep you know and again maybe you won't learn something but at least you tried at least you did it you were a human you were you were literally in the moment reacting and that's the whole point of what we do here at beard bros campfire fun time to get you closer connected with nature, closer connected with family, and to hear things like this. We love you guys. Yeah. God, been... guns, and beer. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I've been Grant. I'm Tyler. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you guys.